0: And you're back with us on this Tuesday afternoon from Game Time here on ESPN Central Texas, your flagship station for Baylor Athletics. Joined now by J. Araja from CBSSports.com. Hey, good afternoon. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. All right, let, hey, let's dive into this thing. Let's begin on the left coast with USC. Second game of the season, and you're running your coach off?
1: <laughs> you know, this is something that I think has been setting up for a long time. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to think about it but Clay Helton was actually the second longest tenured head coach in the Pac-12 only behind David Shaw at Stanford so this has been something that's been building up Uh, back in 2018 I believe it was he had the first losing season at USC since 2000 so I I mean this isn't just about one game one game was kind of the last straw but I think in a lot of ways they've been waiting for that buyout to come down. They've been waiting for it to get to a point uh, where you're kind of at a point of no return. And, you know, I, I think that when they looked at this team, they said, you kind of have one last chance. You have to go and you have to win the Pac-12. You have to compete for a playoff spot. And to look as bad as they did against a Stanford team that obviously was really, really bad against Kansas State in the opener was a real disappointment that I think made them realize now was the time.
0: It, it felt like they were at a point to where they wanted to get this done. I guess my question is, and and obviously it would be speculation on your part, why did you even go into the season with him? I mean, if if he was on that short of a leash, why not just get it done in the offseason?
1: Sure. I mean, and I think it's a. I think it's a good question. Um, I, I think that part of it certainly must be monetary. I, I imagine that his buyout was likely on the high side, and uh, I, I believe his contract is extended through 2023. So now you think, okay, you're getting into 2021. The buyout's going to be a little bit less uh, when you have to buy out two years versus three years. The other thing too is that. I mean, there are a lot of things that felt like maybe they were starting to come together. They got a great transfer class. They have a third-year quarterback in Keaton Slovis, who's an NFL hopeful. Uh, they have, I think, some really good coordinators, honestly, and Todd Orlando on defense and Graham Harrell on offense. So I, I think that there was a vision of how this could be successful. And so I, I think that really it was that moment where they're like, okay, through two games, it's not coming together. It's not looking like that. Uh, and so I think that once they realize, like, he's not going to take advantage of this last chance, I think that that was probably the last straw.
0: Are there any alarms going off at Ohio State right now?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I'll tell you what. I wouldn't want to be Kerry Coombs, their defensive coordinator, right now. (laughs) I, I think that. You know, he was asked. uh, Ryan Day, their head coach, was asked, "Is Kerry Coombs still the defensive coordinator?" And he said, "Yes." He said uh, he was asked, "Is Kerry Coombs still the play caller?" And he said, "I don't want to get into that right now." And that sort of thing is not the vote of confidence that you usually want to hear from your head coach, right? And so, look, a lot of this is just how Ohio State structures their defense. They run sort of a very unique one-high look, uh, playing against Big Ten teams and. You know, when you go out at conference, it doesn't always work that way. And when you don't have a great, great, great edge defender like a Chase Young or a Bosa brother, it doesn't always work the right way. And when you also have a lot of youth in that secondary, not to mention that they've lost their free safety Josh Proctor for the season, it, it just doesn't work right. Right. And so I think that they're going to ask a lot of tough questions. I mean, I, I had somebody ask me, you know, and I thought it was an interesting comparison. Is Ryan Day taking over now? And facing these defensive issues, is it similar to when Mike Stoops was at Oklahoma and you kind of had this legacy defensive thing that you kind of had to resolve at some point? And obviously they did that with Alex Grinch. I, I think there are some similarities. Now, I don't want to overreact to all that, too, right? Because they did have a pretty good defense a couple of years ago under uh, Jeff Hafley, who's now the head coach at Boston College. But I do think that this is going to be something to watch long term whether they start thinking about changing up the structure of their defense, whether they start uh, looking outside the building maybe for more names to kind of uh, come in and rebuild that defense. Because this is this is a trend, right? This isn't just a one-year thing. This has been a couple of years in the making, and even I think dates back to before Ryan Day was head coach. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch. But, I mean, look, I think that the path just got a whole lot harder after losing a non-conference game against an Oregon team that I don't think that any of us had as title caliber heading into the year.
0: Let's talk about Florida State. Uh, first of all, what a shocking way to lose a football game, one. And number two, there's, there's talk that, you know, some say that that's the worst loss in Seminole history. And, and, and we were just talking about it, Shehan. How do they make sure that one doesn't become two?
1: Well, I mean, it's been been several years of this, right? I mean, it's been years and years of Florida State consistently finding new lows, and I believe that this was the first non-SBS loss since, like, 1959, I think it was. So, like, this is years and years in the making, and look, it did happen like that. It did happen in one of the weirdest, worst ways that you can imagine – uh, but, you know, all of a sudden that win against Notre Dame or that loss to Notre Dame, rather, starts to look less impressed when you see Notre Dame go to the wire with Toledo. Right. And then you see this game and you think, well, man, are they as far along as we thought that they might have been in week one? And I think for me, when you look at Florida State, I, I think that I understand why they decided to move on from Willie Sager and go with Mike Norvell. But I think that one of the things they're going to find is that if they don't stick with somebody and let him try to lay some groundwork, it's going to be a long-term issue because their offensive line for years has been decimated. And that goes back to even when Jimbo Fisher was there. You know, I I think that at the end there, they just recruited at a very poor level, especially being in the state of Florida. And when you do find yourself in a hole, it's a hole, right? Like, I mean, because offensive line recruiting especially takes two, three, four years to get right. You have to develop them right. Uh, And I think that that's something that permeated throughout the program. And when you have this much instability where you have, you know three coaches over the course of five or six years or whatever it is I, I mean I think that this sort of stuff starts to matter and so I would not overreact if I was Florida State I do think that eventually they have to pick a guy and let him do his thing whether it was Willie Tagger, whether it was giving Jimbo Fisher uh you know what he wanted and now I think you're facing Mike Norvell I think you have to stick with it and see what happens but man I mean they just keep finding ways to find new lows
0: how good is Iowa
1: <laughs> the craziest thing about watching Iowa, right, is like you. whenever you watch a football team to try to evaluate whether they're like title good, you start to think like, okay. Offense, defense, quarterback, special teams, like all these sort of things, right? And I would just completely wrecks your idea of what a football team is supposed to look like because they finished with something like 170 yards, and yet they really dominated this football game because of forcing four turnovers to zero and because of some fantastic special teams play, and, and that's what they do, right? I mean, I, I think every couple of years you have an Iowa team that really is that good. I mean, the last one was back in 2015, where they were in a play-in game to the uh, to the college football playoff against Michigan State away from being in the college football playoff right and so I think that this team looks like that level of team I think that they're going to go through probably not lose more than one game in the regular season and have a chance against Iowa State or sorry against Ohio State or whoever else in the Big Ten championship team uh, in, in the Big Ten championship game and have an opportunity to potentially win that game and compete for a playoff spot now do I think that they're title caliber i don't know i i think they need to get more from their quarterback center features i think they need to be a little more explosive on the offensive side of the ball but they played two really good defenses in indiana and iowa state so hey who knows maybe when they play against some more normal defenses we'll get to see a little bit more of
0: that hey look the the hype was there for arkansas and texas i mean it was hyped from from here to yonder uh the, the game didn't live up to that it, it Is Arkansas that good? Is Texas still trying to find themselves? What was your takeaway on Arkansas and Texas?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely Texas was a little overhyped. I mean, it turned out that, uh, you know, Louisiana didn't look great in week two either. So maybe this was just kind of uh, a situation where Louisiana wasn't as good as we thought and Texas kind of just beat up on a team that they were better than. Uh, You know, I think the thing that was most surprising to me was the level of physical domination that Arkansas had against Texas because, that's recruited the trenches better than Arkansas they've got some good coaches on both sides of the ball obviously Kyle Flood was Alabama's offensive line coach last year and for them to really kind of get beat up and not know what to do about it I mean that's that's an indictment right like that's that's simply what the game was they just got out physical you hear those kinds of cliches all the time but that's what it looks like in practice when a team just decides we're going to punch you in the mouth and you don't know what to do about it and I mean, that's the sort of culture thing, right? That that's what separates the great teams from the, the not so great teams, even when you've got elite talent. And that's been a year in, year out problem at the University of Texas, dating back long before Steve Sarkeesian got here. And that's the thing that you say about culture too, right? Is it takes years to put into place. So I don't think that this is just about Steve Sarkeesian. I don't think this is just about this coaching staff. This is something that is year after year, you know, a problem. And so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, when you have this film show to your offensive line, to show to your defensive line, to show to really every player on your team and say, this is what it looks like when you have to play an SEC team. This is what it looks like when you have to play a really physical team. How are you going to respond to this? I'm curious if they, if they do respond or if this is something where uh, all of a sudden the hype is gone and everybody's less excited than they used to be.
0: Has Kirby Smart found himself a quarterback controversy in Georgia now?
1: <laughs> no, no, he hasn't. of uh, Bennett <laughs> uh, uh, looked really, really good uh, against UAB, I, I don't want to overthink it, right? We saw Stetson Bennett for so many games last season, and we saw the ways in which he was limited. And, you know, credit to him. I think that he had a really good game against UAB, but it's just going to be different when they go and play some of these top teams. I know that JT Daniels wasn't his best self in that game against Clemson, but it was just one of those types of games. I mean, Clemson might have the best front four in all of college football. And so when JT Daniels comes back, once he's healthy, it's his job. He's not going to lose it. And and I think that one thing that I was encouraged by when it comes to Georgia was I liked getting to see some of their receivers break free and have space and be able to make plays after the catch. Uh, and that's something that we didn't really get to see against uh, Clemson. And so I'm curious to see, heading forward, once they're playing teams that are better than, obviously, UAB, do they still have that? Because I think that's kind of the last step. And once they kind of put that together, I think they're going to be a really title-caliber team. All right, buddy. Where can we find you, and what are you working on right now? Yeah, so you can find all my work at CBSSports.com. I'm working on a list right now of some of the bigger, uh, maybe upset alert type games that you can watch this weekend. It's a little bit of a light slate at the at the top. Right, we get like Alabama, Florida, which is going to be a good game. I think that Auburn, Penn State's going to be pretty good, but there's going to be some more interesting games in the middle. So you can find out which ones I really like over at CBSSports.com.
0: Jayhan, we appreciate your time, buddy. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Have